0: We'll have another special number at this time, and then after that, we'll be dismissing the children to junior church.
1: fills the streets to look upon the one who bled to save me and walk with him for all eternity There will be a day when all will bow before him There will be a day when death will be no more, standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. And every prayer... We prayed in desperation The song of faith We sang through doubt and fear And in the end We'll see that it was worth it When he returns To wipe away our tears be a day when all will bow before Him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with He who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. And on that day we'll join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith, and with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is a lamb who was slain, and on that day. We join the resurrection And stand beside The heroes of the faith And with one voice A thousand generations Sing worthy is the Lamb Who was slain For Today we shout the hymn of heaven with angels and the saints. We raise a mighty roar. Glory to our God who gave us life beyond the grave. Holy, holy is the Lord. Let it be today. We shout the hymn of heaven With angels and the saints We raise a mighty roar Glory to our God Who gave us life beyond the grave Holy, holy is the Lord Holy, holy is the Lord Holy is
0: the Lord. Amen. Okay, the children Children ages 3 to 5 can be dismissed to junior church. Those 6 to 9, there's some clipboards up here you can come and get. Just a reminder: if you feel you need to take a younger child out, the room straight back from the auditorium. There's a, a nursery area there and an area where you can either leave your child or stay with the younger child there. But those services are available there. John 20, we read the first part of that particular section. Uh, We live in a world that is crying out for for peace. Um, We look at wars that's going on. We think of the turmoil in our own country. We think of the turmoil that goes on in so many homes. So whether it's the war in Ukraine or the rioting and shooting here in the U.S. or just the divisiveness that characterizes our society, we see the devastation of a lack of peace that brings to our world. Peace is more than just the ceasing of hostilities or straightening out of disorder or ending dissension between individuals. Peace, particularly the Old Testament word of peace that carries over into the New Testament, is a word that, that deals with soundness, completeness, security, or harmony, harmony. It is a sense of well-being, that life is the way it is intended to be, including the fact of relationships, the harmony in relationships that God intended us to enjoy. The opposite of peace is alienation, hostility, broken relationships, and the consequences that come from that. And in John 13 through 17, in what we often call the Upper Room Discourse, among other things, Jesus reminded his disciples that he had a peace that he would provide for his disciples in the midst of a troubled world. And so in that discourse he's preparing uh, the disciples for his death and departure. And as you come into this particular passage and in, in the part in front of it he's preparing them to tell you're going to be in a troubled world. You're going to be afraid, you're going to be scattered, you're going to be ashamed. Uh, But my death and resurrection will provide peace, total well-being, and an inner rest of spirit that comes with fellowship with God. And so that's the background we come to as we come to John 20 and start today, particularly at verse 19. So on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands in his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the things that stands out in this passage as Jesus talks about peace and reminds them of the background of the peace that he was going to give, is the fact that Jesus himself was sent on a mission of peace. You notice in verse 21, he says, The Father sent me. Now, if you took a journey through John, the Gospel of John leading up to this, you'll see in saying that this isn't the first time he brought up that particular message. In John 3, which we think of very familiar in the section that includes John three sixteen, Jesus talks about, as the Father sent me, he said, I'm the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And God so loved the world that he gave or sent his Son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. The verse after is that he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so as he sent on that missions of peace, it's to provide the basis for eternal life, a right relationship with God both now and for all eternity as described in the beginning of John 17. As we move on to chapter 5, Jesus has talked about the Father sent me and the work he has given me to finish I am doing and I'm bringing it to completion. And again, it talks about the provision of, of eternal life. In John 7, particularly verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. I am from him and he sent me. I am only with you for a short time and then I go to the one who sent me. And in that context, he talks about, among other things, the Lord, he came to provide spiritual life or living water. In John 11, which is the where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, part of his prayer, it says, Father, I know you hear me, but I want you to answer this particular prayer that they may believe that you sent me. And he calls Lazarus from the dead and he comes forth and is a reminder that he is able to give life. And that background is the background to Jesus saying, I was sent with a message of peace. Acts 10.36 sums it up this way. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel telling them the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all you have your Bible, I'd turn, have you turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 for a minute and see that spelled out or summarized in a particular way. in Colossians 1, starting with verse 19, reminding us of who Jesus was, involved in being the creator of the world and the head of the church and all those particular things. But Colossians 1, 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusations if you continue it in your faith, established and firm, and not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you have heard, and that is proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And So he reminds us, you were alienated from God, you were facing God's judgment, you were not in a position of, of harmony, but God the Son was sent, to reconcile us to God. So when you come to those phrases in John 20. Three different times Jesus appears to his disciples. Twice And what the first time he says this phrase. And then a week later he said it again. As Jesus appears unexpectedly in their midst. He says peace be with you. Now that's more than just a greeting. It was a typical uh, Hebrew greeting. What do you typically say to people when you greet them? Say, hi, how are you? When you say, how are you? Or what answer do you expect? Do you really want them to tell you how they are? <laughs> you know, what, what, what do we sue? Most of the time we just say, well, I'm good, I'm good. You know, are you always good? No, but it's, it's a way that we have developed just a... Showing your think about people, but sometimes it becomes sort of an indifferent phrase. And so this phrase could become that, and did in many ways. But when I was talking about peace be with you, again, it's that background of the Hebrew word shalom that talks about may your well-being and life be as it is intended to be in harmony with God and other people. Um, But the Lord's expressing a statement of peace or in the sense of reconciliation with God made possible through his death and resurrection. So it included, you notice they were in that room locked in because they were afraid and they were all upset. The world as they knew it, everything they had planned had got fallen apart. Jesus Christ had been crucified. The people, they figured if they took him out, they're after us. And so they're fearful and afraid and hiding. And then the risen Lord appears in their midst. And so when he expresses peace be with you, it's a reminder of that phrase he had spoke to them in the upper room in John 14, 27. Peace I live with you, leave with you, my peace I give you. And so he's moving them from the fact that they lacked peace apart from the gift of peace that the Lord Jesus Christ gave. Could give them, you know the verses in John three that remind us that we are all under sin, all of sin and for, fall short of the glory of God. In Romans five, we're God enemies, facing His wrath. We're separated from Christ, excluded from God's covenant, without hope and without God in the world. And Colossians one, in that context we read, said once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And so when you when you think about reconciliation, there's a little reminder. We need reconciled to God. Because in our natural sinful condition, we're alienated, we're hostile, we're enemies, we're facing God's condemnation and judgment all because we broke God's law. And that's really what sin is. The holiness of God demands judgment for For sin, for violation of those things. Um, But God in his love took steps to restore that relationship. So reconciliation is bringing into unity or harmony or agreement those things that have been broken apart. And so when he talks about reconciliation, he's talking about the aim of establishing and maintaining peace. And particularly peace in the sense of a restoration of fellowship between God and people. One of the things they're trying to do at the moment is broker peace between Ukraine and Russia. Think that's going to happen anytime soon? What's going to be necessary for that to happen? We don't really know, but but you know how... You know, different parts of the world have we talk about peace in the Middle East are, they, are the Arabs and the Jews ever going to get that what would have to happen or, and you can look at different situations family and home situations but usually in that process if there's ever going to be peace there's some clarity about here's what needs to happen if this happens then there can be peace now the trouble is you can't get people to agree on what it is that needs to happen but in this passage, what's clear is God is saying, if you're ever going to have to peace with me, then it requires the removal of that which stands in between you and me. And that's sin. Your sin is going to have to be dealt with. The penalties have to go, going to have to be paid. The, the guilt and the penalty of that has to be taken care of or removed if there's ever going to be peace. But we're reminded that the Lord took the initiative. We were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. In 2 Corinthians 5, all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. Why didn't He have to count it against them anymore? See, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, so it's taken care of. It's not that Jesus, or not that God says, oh, that sin thing doesn't matter, I'll just forget that one. No, God could never do that because of his nature, of the holiness of God. But he loved us enough to send his son to deal with that sin problem, and therefore, because of Christ's ministry of reconciliation, it says he doesn't hold that sin against us any longer. In Ephesians it says, And now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ who reconciled both the Jews and Gentiles to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Not only hostility to God but hostility between these groups of people. And again in Colossians 1 that we read, And through him, Christ, to reconcile him to himself all things, things on earth, the in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that you're reconciled by Christ coming in human form, in his physical body, through his death. So as a result of that, you're presented holy in God's sight, without blemish and free from accusation. How's that happen? It's because the righteousness of Christ has been imparted to us when we place our faith in his provision. So it's very clear through Scripture that peace or reconciliation to God is made possible by Christ's death and resurrection. And the peace of John 20 is the peace of a pardoned sinner. My sin isn't going to be held against me. When I stand before God, I don't have to fear his judgment because Christ is going to say, you're mine. I've taken care of you. I've paid the penalty for your sin. And so we receive that forgiveness. Forgiveness. And Jesus called it my peace. He says, my peace I give to you. For he alone could bestow it and he was the only one that could do so through his death and his resurrection. So the basis of peace with God or our peace is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and no other place. The resurrection proves that Jesus Christ is God the Son and his atoning work on the cross was sufficient and complete And effective, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So back in John 20, in this particular passage, as Jesus has been sent by God to seek and to save the lost, and to provide a basis of peace or reconciliation, uh, there's this reminder that the resurrection is an essential part of that gospel message. Faith in Christ, the crucified and risen Lord, is the source of life and peace. And we have to believe and respond to that faith. So when you read John 20, and we read that scripture reading, Peter and John run to the tomb. And as John goes in and sees the empty tomb, remember what it said? Verse 8, it said, and he believed. He didn't fully understand yet, but he believed. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord, the risen Lord. And in this particular verses that we read, 19 to 23, the disciples who were locked away in a room for fear, their fear was turned to joy when they saw the risen Lord and Savior. And when they shared that message, what was the response? Well, if you move on in verse 24, now Thomas called Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord and he said, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it served them right, by the way, because when the, when the ladies who had seen the Lord came and, and told the disciples, they said, you ladies are crazy with grief and you, you know, you're, you're dreaming this thing. Well, now they get a taste of their own medicine here. He said to them, unless I see the nails marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. So a week later, the disciples were in the house together and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So again, a reminder They asked the same kind of questions you would ask. This was a totally unexpected thing to them. And the account is put forward in in such a way that it makes it clear that this wasn't something they were making up and expected. It was a totally unexpected thing. When Thomas heard their testimony and refused to believe, then Jesus stands before him and told him, stop doubting and believe. Which he did. And then... The Lord said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And we have that reminder throughout the scriptures in Romans. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So every one of those passages in Ephesians and Corinthians and Colossians that I touched on, each take us through that reminder. We were alienated, separated from God, facing his judgment But God sent Jesus to reconcile us, to make peace, to restore that relationship by dealing with the sin problem once for all. And as they placed their faith in him, they had peace with God. Now if you go back to verse 21 in this passage, there's a second part of that verse. After Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the mission of peace did not end with Jesus. Jesus is commissioning his apostles, I'm sending you. As recipients of this peace and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the disciples were now, had a mission, a responsibility. They were to exercise the ministry of reconciliation, of providing the basis. They didn't provide the basis, but taking the message that God had provided the basis on which they could have peace with God. Second Corinthians 5 spells that out very clearly to us, saying even to us, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. You know, ambassador goes to another country to represent their nation to that country and in the, to establish and maintain good relationships and communication. And he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. We're representing Christ and God to a world that doesn't know him about how they can be at peace With him. And it says, He makes His appeal through us. So the work of the cross is peace, and the message that they would carry is called the gospel of peace. So Christ was entrusting His apostles with His word and His work. Their message is a continuation of His message, just as their mission to the world is an extension of His mission. Jesus had been sent by God and now he is sending his disciples to represent what he has done and what God has called them to. And that responsibility and privilege carries on to us who have placed our faith in what Christ has done on the cross. And so he empowered them with the Holy Spirit. We see the effect of that on the day of Pentecost at a later point. But notice in verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Remember, sin had to be dealt with for there to be peace with God. So forgiveness of sin allows peace. And the gospel message, which is through the power of the Holy Spirit, reaches into people's hearts and lives, helps them to understand that message, But there's a process going on here When we first read this passage If you took it all by yourself I think you would misunderstand what's going on here The disciples did not provide forgiveness They proclaimed forgiveness On the basis of what Jesus did on the cross And the response and faith or lack of it Meant your sins were forgiven or not Provisions already been made But your participation is dependent upon your response to that gospel message of peace that is being declared. And so in that same message of forgiveness of what Christ did on the cross, to some it brings forgiveness and peace of heart and mind. To others it brings hardening of heart and disbelief. So, a reminder of that gospel message, probably the place that it's summarized the best is in 1 Corinthians 15, the first six or seven verses. But in there, it reminds us Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and raised again according to the scriptures. He's reminding him, God said ahead of time, This is how I'm going to do it, what's going to happen, and here's the result. And then he appeared to Peter and the twelve and to others. And so part of their message was the reminder of the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that was necessary to provide salvation or peace with God. Without that reality, there would be no peace with God. You can never earn it yourself. There's no basis you're ever going to stand in righteousness in God's presence apart what Christ did on the cross for you. So Jesus suffered and died and rose again, and in in virtue of his finished work on Calvary, we can draw near to God. We become part of his family. And so he says, you are my eyewitnesses. You're going to go out and declare this message and tell the world. And through them, the message of who Christ is and what he does would confront them. So the, the disciples Witnessed Christ by word, by the life of their community, and the love they demonstrated to one another and the world around them would force people to respond for or against Jesus Christ. The disciples provide the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection and the nature of what it means to be his disciples. Now, notice that you come down to the end of this passage in John 20. Jesus said, verses 29 to 31, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And Jesus did many other miraculous signs of the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. See, John says, why do we have this book? Why is it written? Because it's the ministry of the apostles, including John, to provide us with the evidence to persuade us that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. And that he was sent to restore a relationship with God that was only possible through our sin being taken care of, which he did by his death and resurrection. And their evidence that's laid out there is evidence that is sufficient to cause you to respond. In belief, as far as evidence goes. In fact, it's not only a reasonable choice, but it's a necessary decision if you're going to be a disciple of Christ. The evidence is adequate, but it takes the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take a hardened, unbelieving heart to respond in faith. See, we don't, people tend not to believe that fact, not because there isn't lots of evidence, But because if I believe that's true, then I'd have to change how I think and how I live and how I respond. And so it's easier to ignore it, come up with excuses not to believe it than it is to face the reality of how I need to respond and what my condition is without that faith in Christ. It says, blessed are those who have not seen but believe. I hope that includes you. You are not there to witness Christ's resurrection, but you have the apostles' eyewitness account that lays out all that happened and you see their doubts and their questions, the same kind of things that you would ask to lay out clearly Jesus is who he claimed to be. And so there's this reference to all who will believe as a result of that gospel message being carried throughout the world. Aren't you glad they took that message? Aren't you glad other people down through the message, down through the years have brought you the message? You can have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on the cross. Your sins can be forgiven. And so the gospel is written so that people in every age could know that Jesus is God the Son, and that by faith in Him we can have eternal life. Belief leads to life and peace. and this life and peace is a gift given through the power of Jesus Christ God's Son. John 16, says, even in a world where you're at peace with God, you're going to still have trouble in this world. I don't have to convince you of that, do I? Everything's not going to be peaceful and harmonious in your relationship with people and in this world. You live in a troubled world, but you can be at peace with God, and you can know that your future is secure, and as a result of your relationship with him, you can begin to change the way you respond to other people. And do it in a way that nurtures peace. We have the message of peace that the world longs for. Because the true ground of reconciliation between God and people. And eventually between person and person. And even peace within yourself. All grows out of the work of Christ on the cross. Accomplished there and through the power of the Holy Spirit brought to bear into our lives so that we possess his peace. Peace I give to you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives you, for I have overcome the world. So the basis of peace is shown to be the actual words, actions, and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And God's purpose through John's writing, it's precisely to enable other people, such as you and I, to experience that peace with God that Jesus had spoken about to his apostles. Discipleship is defined by belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and by his Son dwelling in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But one of the things that becomes clear in this process is through the witness of the gospel, you can't remain neutral about Jesus Christ. He either is who he said he was and accomplished what he said he did, and he's the way to have peace with God, or he's not, and he's a total fraud. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's pretty tough to be neutral about a statement like that, isn't it? And so the Lord is is spelling these things out. We have the privilege and responsibility to share that message of peace. Some people will believe because of our witness. Some won't. We want to represent the Lord well and accurately. It ought to be a message that's true, it's compassionate, but it's accurate about the need. If you're going to be right with God, your sin has to be taken care of. See, the word of God should be the basis of our faith. And the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which dealt with that sin problem, is the basis of our peace. See, sometimes people can say, oh, I think I'm at peace with God. They have a commercial. I can't even remember what it's for. Um, But they have a commercial. Do you think that's good enough? And then they show all the things that happened if, you, if your thinking was wrong. I, I don't remember which commercial that one is, but, but they show different circumstances. And then the person says, no, I want to be certain. Um, that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. He says, these things are written so that you might believe and that you might know that you do have peace with God, that you're welcomed in his presence, that the sin has been dealt with once and all. And it's based in, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your response and faith to that provision. And then no matter what comes into your life, you can respond to it understanding that this part of God's working. I don't understand it. I struggle with it, but I can turn to the Lord. I can rely on the Lord. And I know my future is secure in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for peace. We enjoy harmony and peace with different people we love in this world, and yet we know all the heartache and heartbreak that's also a part of this world because of sin. But we thank you for the peace that we can have with you, that even with all our shortcomings and failures, that we can stand in your sight as righteous with our sins not held against us, without accusation, because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that Jesus Christ took care of our sin once for all. Lord, we pray that we would share that message of hope with others, that you might use the words that have been shared from your scriptures today to work in the hearts and minds of individuals to draw them into that relationship with peace, that they might know the joy that you can provide for them. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Okay, we're going to stand and sing this last song. You'll have it on the Or It's not in, did you get it in the bulletin? It's in the oh, bulletin. So send I you, the song in the bulletin. I didn't know that.
0: It's actually in our hymnal, but it's different in
2: our hymnal. So this is the one we're doing. I want you to know beforehand that you sing the first three verses, one right after the other, and that last phrase after the fourth verse. So we'll only sing that last phrase one time. Uh, That's in your bulletin so that you can read that. Let's stand and sing. So send I you. So send I you, by grace made strong to triumph, on of hell, or darkness, death, and sin, My name to bear, and in that name to conquer, So send I you, my victory to win. So send I you to take my soul to bondage the word of truth that sets the captive free to break the bonds of sin to loose as fetters. So send I you to bring the lost to me. So send I you my strength to know in weakness, my joy in grief, my perfect peace in pain, to prove my power, my grace, my promised presence. So send I you eternal fruit to gain. So send I you to bear my cross with patience, and then one day with joy to lay it down, to hear my voice, well done my faithful servant, come share my throne, my kingdom and my crown. As the Father has sent me, so
0: send I you. Father, as Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And we have been reminded not only of the hope and the provision of peace that has been provided, but our responsibility to share that message of peace to a needy world. May we go from here rejoicing in the new life we have our risen Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.